Well, that was a confusing gospel reading. As I was, re- as I was preparing for it, what came to my mind was the opening line of a Beatles song, I am the walrus. It's, I am he as you are he as you are me, and we are all together. You got to admit, that sounds like it comes directly from John's gospel, or at least it would fit right in. John Lennon later admitted that he wrote the line while taking acid, which makes sense. There's no evidence the writer of John's gospel was on any hallucinogenic substances when he penned that late first century document, but who knows? In a sermon prep discussion this last week, Toby Rowe made the comment that without pronouns, John's gospel wouldn't have much to it. And today's reading really affirms that. You know, from the outset, pronouns and their potential for confusion dominate. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept their word. What? Seriously, who, what, when, where? And, and as you heard, it goes on for all 13 verses. And I'll admit, it's tempting to find something else to preach on this last Sunday before Pentecost, right between the Ascension and Pentecost. Go to First John or the Psalms or even my beloved Acts. Although this week's lectionary reading from Acts features Matthias and Joseph slash Barsabbas slash Justice, really just two minor characters, neither one of them gets mentioned again throughout the entire Bible. But the John reading is just too important to skip over perched on this special Sunday, as I mentioned, between Thursday's Ascension Feast and next, next Sunday's Pentecost celebration. Plus, it's called the High Priestly Prayer, which suggests it's pretty important. And it's the clearest, to the extent it's clear, it's the strongest intercessory prayer that Jesus makes on his disciples' behalf. And that calls our attention, too. So I've tried to simplify the reading into what I think are four key themes that come out of it. One is unity with Jesus and God, and our unity is a part of that. Second is God's providential protection. The third is the disciples being called and set apart. And fourth, and probably most importantly, is Christ as truth. So first, the unity between the disciples and Jesus, and therefore with God. The disciples closely model Jesus' earthly experience, when you think about it. They each have God's word, the Logos. Jesus has received the knowledge from the source and has passed it along to his disciples. They are now, like him, part of the unity in God. Both Jesus and the disciples are sent into the world. They don't hide out. They're not separated from the world. And both do not belong to the world and are therefore hated by the world. And finally, they share a oneness with Jesus and God, just as Jesus and God are one. It's an incredibly intimate portrayal of how Jesus' mediation with God unites them and us to God and to each other. The second theme is Jesus' call for, providential, for God's providential protection. Providential in the sense that God gives us everything we need. Jesus is asking for the same protective care that God offers him. The third theme is how the disciples are called and set apart. Now, this is not a call for escape, but a call to be in the world and not of the world. In his life and words, Jesus reminds the church that the pattern of his own life was not escape from the world, but active engagement with the world 
with all its distorted powers and pressures. Set apart, the second part of that, is another term for holy. When things are called holy, that means they are set apart, set apart for God's purposes. Now, they're not intrinsically made better. Holy water isn't atomically different than regular water. It's just water that's been set apart for God's reminder of connection with us in the baptism. Ancient Israel was a holy land because it was set apart for God's purposes, not because of any inherent superiority about it. The Israelites weren't inherently special, as most of the Old Testament attest. They had simply been set apart for God's purposes. And given the current unrest in that part of the world today, one wonders how God's purposes are being achieved in that set-apart land, that holy land. We should all pray for peace and justice for the Israelis and Palestinians. Now for John, this holiness, this set-apartness, was against the outside existence that had chosen to work at odds with God's purposes. It was and is a dangerous place, even though it looks and feels so attractive. As church, we should seek to constantly live in creative tension, in a state of being in the world, and yet not of that world. And the final theme is truth. This is an equally fraught term in the current environment, but we're talking here about an even greater truth. Christ is the truth that liberates through his word and life. To know the truth is to walk the way of a life that will set you free. This is the critical part of Jesus' prayer, and it carries significant implications for the disciples and for us as disciples of Christ today. First, when the gospel stresses live by the truth, it means we accept the demand to doing the truth in concrete actions. Second, it requires people of faith to tell the truth. Think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Nazi Germany. And you tell the truth as a consequence of a conduct and testimony that witnesses to that truth, that witnesses to that truth. And finally, it calls us to a discipleship that is both in solidarity with and an active promotion of truth. Now, this is work. This is hard work. And we are being called to Christ's truth and living into that, that will set us free. Now, earlier I noted that Jesus reminds us as church that the pattern of his own life was not escape from the world, but active engagement with the world, even with all its distorted powers and pressures. And boy, those distorted powers and pressures seem to grow every day. I continually pray for our community. I'm worried about us. I want us to overcome our divisions, to come together and to love one another as Christ loved us, to witness everyone as a beloved child of God, regardless of race, religion, gender, sexuality, income, politics, home life, or even the mistakes they've made at their lowest moments. And to know that in that state of belovedness, I am called to love each and every one of them, to stop judging and just love much harder than it seems when I try to put it in practice. Over the past few weeks, I've been wondering how we here as church, St. Peter's, can help heal some of the divisions that are pulling us apart as a community and as a society. 
You see, it kind of makes sense for a place of worship or places of worship, places like church, to lead us toward healing. Politically speaking, though, right now church is yet another place we come to, I think, for confirmation of our beliefs and not the alternative. As you know, St. Peter is a relatively, although not uniformly, progressive place. A sermon that tends to the more liberal political perspective here would be comfortably received here by most of the listeners, not all. Conversely, my Baptist preacher neighbor, who had a Trump sign on his porch during the election, would be expected to preach a more politically conservative sermon if he wanted to be well-received at his church. So we're just exacerbating the problem and speaking to our own little tribes, our own little bubbles. And what I'm going to tell you about may strike many of you as a fool's errand, but sometime this coming week, we'll be sending personalized letters to every member of the clergy we can find here in the Conway community. And I'm calling it Common Ground. And it will be an invitation to come together as leaders of our respective parishes and address head-on the issues that are tearing up this community and the nation as well. In this spirit of understanding, we'll address those topics head-on. Black Lives Matter, police brutality, transgender rights, abortion rights, January 6th, and so on. And around each topic, we'll address four areas of questions, and I think this is where we find common ground. The first area is, what do you love? What do you value? What will you struggle to protect? The second area is, what have you lost? What keeps you up at night? What has been lost in your community? What do you miss? For example, I miss togetherness. Where does it hurt? That's where most of these emotions come from. How have you been wounded by life? What makes you angry? How or where do you feel that pain and anger? And finally, what do you dream? What do you hope for the future for yourself, your family, your community, and your nation? Now these questions are taken from a brand new campaign put out by our church, the Episcopal Church, called Quote, from many one, conversations across difference, end quote. And it invites Episcopalians and our neighbors to engage in one-to-one -one listening and sharing across the many differences that separate us. And the website, from many one, claims that, quote, as a church, we can offer a faithful perspective and tested practice for knitting deeply divided communities into a diverse, more perfect union. And to me personally, doing this helps affirm our creedal statement of belief that we're going to say in a few minutes in the Nicene Creed. When we, every, uh, when we say one holy Catholic and apostolic church, one church, every week we affirm this connection and then we disappear back into our bubbles. We're sending the letters to each of the 72 churches in Conway. We only chose Conway. I'm still surprised there are 72, but... Not surprised. I'm not sure what form or forms is going to come out of this. This is only the first step. And if you're interested in helping out or learning more, let me know, and I'll make sure this week's Wake Up has a link to the notation from the uh, Episcopal Church. I'd like to think that as church and community leaders, we can learn from this. We can develop deeper understanding and empathy for those with differing opinions. And we identify where we share common ground, and that's the most important thing. 
And then we model that to our congregations. We break out of our bubbles. To me, that's the one way we can be in the world and yet not of the world and fight for the truth, Christ's truth, to actively engage with the world, even, especially with all its distorted powers and pressures. As John wrote in this morning's Gospel, all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. Let it be so. Amen.